You can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to continue our series going through the nine, as Pastor Jay has called it, the nine fruits of the Spirit, as we see here in Galatians chapter 5. Obviously, these are not the only fruits that the Holy Spirit works in us, but these are sort of the big wells, the big buckets of things that God's Spirit does in us when we are saved and as we become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to start off, and I'm just going to read a few verses and then we'll get into the meat of what I want to talk about. So look at Galatians chapter 5 and then look at verse 16. Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust of, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one to another. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as have also told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So as we begin tonight, we're going to start off with just that first fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of love. And I think it's very interesting to note out right away that Paul mentions this first. That's not by accident, that's not by just Paul just shooting a dart at the board and saying, Oh, I guess I'm going to start off with love as I start this list. (laughs) He, he did this, I think, on purpose. This was uh, definitely something that the Holy Spirit drove him and inspired him to do. He starts off with the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's not an accident. That's because God prioritizes love. We can see that all throughout the Bible. But I'm just going to read a quick verse that um, sort of proves that. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's actually the last verse of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Obviously, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is sort of called the quote-unquote love chapter. And here Paul, the same writer, he writes this, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, that is love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. God prioritizes love. So, So much so that even Jesus Christ, God's own Son, when He was asked... In Matthew chapter 22, God, uh, Jesus was asked by this lawyer. He comes up to him, and he's trying to trick him. But this lawyer comes up to him and asks him, Sir, Savior, Master, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? <laughs> you know what Jesus responds with? It's not prayers, it's not fastings, it's not tithing. It's love. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. He summarizes and harmonizes the law into one word, love. I think that's very interesting. Because here we also see that Paul is prioritizing love too. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I would say this, that the fruit of God's work in us will always result in love. And if it's not, if we are not loving people, the more we are meditating, responding, reflecting, and reading God's word, then we are missing something. But I think this begs the question then, that if God prioritizes love, if the fruit of the Spirit is love, we should, uh, begs, it begs the question, right, what is love? 
Because if you ask that question to, especially if you ask that group of question to a group of teenagers, you're getting a lot of different answers. <laughs> even to a group of young adults, even, I would imagine. There would be a lot of different definitions of what is, and our society makes a lot of love. <laughs> love is the centerpiece, the focal point of countless movies and TV shows and books and songs. I think every other song is a breakup song, so it's about broken love or something. <laughs> I don't know. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, 2014, uh, I, I'm sort of a movie buff, so that's one thing that me and Jay have in common. But uh, there was this movie that came out in 2014 called Interstellar. I don't know if you've seen this movie. But Interstellar, it was sort of marketed as this sci-fi exploration movie, right? There's this guy, Matthew McConaughey, he has to... Apparently in this movie, Interstellar, there's a massive like dust storm or something, so the planet is dying, and they have to go find another place where they can live. So anyways, it's, it's kind of a ridiculous premise. But regardless, they, they market it as this sci-fi movie with this awesome... And it, has, it really does have breathtaking sci-fi space scenes. But you realize about halfway through, actually a little bit earlier than that, that it's not about science at all. Interstellar, this marketed movie, is actually a very cerebral, heady movie about love. In fact, one of the characters, she says this, that love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends time and space. <laughs> Ooh, doesn't that feel good? That feels all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? <laughs> the society loves love, at least their perception of love and in fact, I'm sure you're familiar with this, the Beatles have even said that all you need is love. But is that true? Is all you need love? Well, I think yes and no, because it depends, again, on your definition. How do you define the question, what is love? Well, Merriam-Webster, I think this is very interesting, very intriguing. Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, defines love with words like this. Attraction, desire, affection... Feeling. Those are the words it kind of uses to define love. Now, right off the bat, do you see any flaws with those words? They're all relating back to you, right? It's, it's my desire, it's my feelings, it's my affections, it's my attraction. That's what makes love, that's what love is. It makes love all about you. And I would say that it makes love selfish. And from the very outset, selfish love isn't love at all. It's lust. And I would actually go on to say this, that this world has confused lust for love so much that it's not even questioned anymore. And I would actually say that it has actually creeped into most Christian circles. And we have also become confused as to what love is. We're confused just like the world is. We're searching for something about what real love is, true love in dating and relationships and friendships. We're just as confused as to what true love is. And I would go on to say that this, that if you've never been told what true love is, I would hasten to say, and I would dare to say, that you might have not ever really loved. Because love is not selfish. The ancient Greeks... They use four words to describe love. I'm sure you're familiar with these. Uh, if you're not, I'm going to go through them, so you can be familiar with them. <laughs> they use four words. The first one was called, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this because I haven't taken Greek yet, so just bear with me. But anyways, the first one they used is called storgi. 
Now, this is, this is sort of a familial love. A love between a family. It's a love between a parent and a child. A father and a son. A, a mom and a daughter. It, this was, that was the word they would use to describe that type of love. It was a natural love. It was a, a family love. They also had this other word called philia. Of course, Philadelphia. This is the love between brothers. Also the love between friends. Pastor Jay is my bro. He's my brother. <laughs> Hey, bro, how you doing? That's, that's Philia. That's fi- the, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. It's not the same type of love as between a mom and a, and, a, and a son. But it is a type of love. There's also the third type of love, which is called eros. Of course, this is a passionate love. It's where we get the word erotic from. And actually, it can be further defined as sort of a love madness. In the right context, this type of love is, should define a husband and a wife. In the wrong context, this describes two lovers that are committing adultery. And I would go on to say that I think that this is how most of us think of love, or at least how most of us in our society, they think of love as this type of love, an erotic, eros, passionate love. I mean, just watch any chick flick ever made in the past 25-odd years. It's all dealing with this type of love. It's a love of just feelings, of attractions, desires, and words, and all these sorts of things. And the overwhelming sort of embodiment of love is this erotic love, which again is a selfish love. It's love that depends on what you do for me. It's love that depends on how I'm feeling in the moment. And I would say that we, along with our society, has sort of been, for lack of a better word, brainwashed by this type of love. By, not just by movies, I'm not trying to demonize them, but that is a, a, a clear focal point, as a clear avenue and channel through which the wrong ideas about love creep in, and then you start even, you don't even notice them anymore. And I think it all stems from a false definition of true love. You see, love isn't just this transcendent emotion. That, 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 that It's not some fluttery feeling that transcends space and time. It, it, I'm going to dare to say this. Love is not about the hugging and the kissing. And the flowers and the cards. If you think it's all about those things, then that's where you get this wrong definition of love. And I would say that that leads to wrong, um, it leads to, I would call it relational confusion. So I'm not going to go out of my way to show my affection for you because of something you said to me. Or because, you know, this is the 30th day when you haven't brought me flowers, so I'm not going to go out of my way to show you that I love you. I'm not going to hug you today because of some wrong look you gave me, or something like that. It causes relational confusion, relational friction. It's brought on by uh, lots of other things, too. Because when that happens, what happens next? Well, uh, she's not satisfying me. I have to go somewhere else to find what I need. So I'm going to go to that website. I'm going to go to that location. I'm going to go to that drink. He's not doing it for me, so I'm going to go and make sure I can get this conversation with that other person. It leads to all sorts of relational confusion, relational fiction, all because we have not been told what true love is, and we haven't been reminded of it constantly. 
These are important. I'm not denying that you shouldn't go home and hug your wife. Please don't take that away from what I'm saying. It's important, yes, but it's not the root. It's not the foundation. It's not what we're building our relationship on. Actually, I think the, these are important, but the mark of true love lies one step deeper. It's the love that is talked about here. It's the love that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's called agape love. This is what the Greeks would uh, assume would be the highest form of love. It's a love that eclipses circumstances. Yes, it is a selfless love. It's a love that doesn't regard what it wants. It's a love that doesn't care how it's feeling in the moment. It's not concerned about its desires or its attractions or its affections. It's only concerned about the good of the other person. This is agape love. And I would say that this is the love we're to have for others. And also I would say this is the love that should describe us. Did you know, really quick tangent, that these fruits of the Spirit... We have to look at them in a, in a very particular way or we're going to be confused by them. These are not prescriptions. These are descriptions. Did you know that? The fruits of the Spirit describe what a Christian looks like. A Christian is loving. He is patient. He is kind. He is good. He is gentle. He is faithful. These aren't prescriptions that if you put these secret things in a batch, you're going to get out a Christian after you bake it a while. (laughs) These are descriptions of what happens when we further meditate and study and reflect upon the God who saved us, yes, with agape love. That this is what happens. This is what comes out of it. They are descriptions of us. And I would say that this should be the most greatest description of who we are as believers in Christ Jesus. We should be loving people. Loving not because of, uh, that we know that we're going to get something. Not Loving not because we've been told. But loving because why? Because he first loved us. And we know that we don't deserve any of it. The other forms of love are not irrelevant. They're not useless. They have their time and their place and their context. But, and I would say even this, that they are included in true love, but they're not the epitome of it. Yes, I can love someone else as a brother, but the true love that, that makes that a love between a brother is not just that feeling. It's selflessness. The same for a husband and wife. The same for a father and a son. I'm already learning this. I'm a dad of 14 months, okay? (laughs) I'm young into this fatherhood game. And what do I want to do when I come home? It's not always change a poopy diaper. (laughs) I don't want to just be handed this kid. Here you go. Make sure she's clean now. I just want to relax. Not think about anything. Look at my phone or veg on something. You know what selfless love does? <laughs> it thinks about what the other person has been through and it says, here, let me unburden you. Agape love should describe us as Christians. And I would say true love can manifest in feelings and desires. Yes, true love, agape love, selfless love, can, it, it can show itself in flowers and cards. Again, don't come away from this thinking that Pastor Brad has told you that you don't have to buy your wife flowers. But don't base your relationship on that. 
Don't base your whole hope for a loving and fruitful and and flourishing 50-year marriage on the idea that your husband is going to get you flowers or that your wife is going to always greet you with a a passionate, gone-with-the-wind kiss. Base it on the selflessness that you have been instilled with because of the Spirit of God. True love can manifest itself in date nights, but these are just the fruits of selfless love, not the root of it. And to pin my hopes and dreams of a flourishing and loving relationship on flowers and food is to pin it onto something that quickly fades. You know what doesn't fade? The love of God never faileth. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Charity never faileth. Love never faileth. You know what you can say there? Jesus never fails. Because that's who he's talking about. If Jesus never fails in his love for you, you don't have to fail in your love for your wife. You can be selfless because you know you don't have to get anything because you've already been given everything in Christ. I was thinking about this. When I was thinking about um, writing this and I dared to write, <laughs> write these notes. Don't hug your wife or not, all that kind of stuff. I was thinking, I don't know, maybe, well you can take a poll. I don't know, you don't, have to, you don't have to answer out loud. Do you remember what you had for your first anniversary dinner? I was thinking about that. I've only been married for six years. I think it was some sort of steak of some sort. But what would happen if I pinned my hopes on the idea that that is what made for a loving relationship? (laughs) I can't even remember what we had for dinner. That's really bad. I'm sorry, Natalie, if you're listening. But you know what I do know? I do know that Natalie loves me unconditionally. Imperfectly sometimes, but unconditionally. That she is selfless with her time and her faith and and everything about her. I know that, not because we had dinner that one time, but because she's proved it in her selflessness to me. When I've been stupid, when I've been foolish, when I've been unfaithful, she's proven it to me. When I didn't deserve it, she loved me still. That goes way more than A1 on a steak. (laughs) The selflessness... Agape love is what defines us. Selfless love never fades. It never fails and really, I think, does transcend space and time. You know why? Because selfless love is the only thing that spans the gap between us and God. To bring it to another level, selfless love is what has saved you. There was a vast chasm between you and God the Father. You know what spanned it? Jesus' love on the cross. This is how Jesus loved you. Jesus' death on the cross proves that the most sincere love is self-sacrificing and self-denying. He says that the the truest picture of love, the, the, the portrait of love that's in most vivid, brightest color, is the love of self-denial. Turn with me to John chapter 15. These are great verses. John 15, look at verse 12. Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. And how have I loved you? Greater love hath no man than this, 
that a man lay down his life for his friends. And look at these next three words. (laughs) You are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. (laughs) I put my life down for those that I call my friends. And you guys are my friends. And it's not because they were righteous. You know why? Because you know what what the greatest name of Jesus was? (laughs) He was the friend of sinners. (laughs) These were a ragtag bunch of fishermen and carpenters and publicans and terrorists that Jesus called his friends. And he said, I'm going to die for you. That's how great my love is. My love is perfect, selfless, agape love. And you can love like that because you have that same love in you. This is what the Spirit is doing in us all throughout our lives. He's whittling down the old man. He's chiseling at the hardness of our old natures that just wants what it wants when it wants it. To free us to love selflessly. This is impossible without the grace of God. Pastor Jay said that I think a few weeks ago. That all these things that you can try and do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. They're utterly impossible. And it's not that you don't try, but just know that you can be empowered by only one source. The God of this book. So, remember those old Sunday school answers? That the answer is always Jesus, or the answer is always the Bible? Well, yeah, that's true. (laughs) It always leads us back to Jesus, because we should always be in this book. There's no other secret formula. There's no other magic book. There's no other holy grail that I can point you to other than the Bible, the Word of God. That's the way that the Spirit gets into us. That's the way that the, whole, that the God of this world chisels us down, whittles us down, until we finally realize that we are nothing and that He is everything. And that we are free to love selflessly. We don't have to get what we want in order to feel love. We don't have to do something in order to make sure that we are being loved by another person. We can just show love. This is the love that you need. Agape love. Perfect, sacrificial, dying, resurrecting love. This is Jesus' love for you. And I would say that further, (laughs) this type of love is your only lifeline. As we were saying, that Jesus' love on the cross proves that selfless love sort of spans space and time. It spans that gap between us and God. We could never make up that gap. All the amount of works that you can try and do on your own, they will never make up the amount of sin that you owe. You know what only spans that gap is Jesus' love on the cross. That's why he says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the love of God. That's our lifeline. That's our hope. That's our only hope. Throughout the whole rest of our lives, that's the only thing we ought to be banking on. Not how much we have done for other people. Not how much we've even given to a church. Not how much hours we've spent counseling this person or that person. Not even how many Bible verses we have memorized. How many badges we have on our Awana vests. It's God's love 
that defines us, that carries us, that sustains us throughout this whole life. It's what we need. It's it's what we've been given. (laughs) Graciously in the gospel, we've been given this love. That's why it says, and I wish I loved this verse, Romans 5, 8, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, we've been shown this love when we weren't even looking for it. When we weren't even chasing after it. Like the, like the prodigal son when he's returning home. <laughs> he's expecting to go home and go back into service. He's expecting to go back home and say, Dad, just let me work my way. And let me just, please let me just, let me give, give me some of the scraps from your table. The dad runs out. <laughs> He meets him and he greets him and he doesn't chasten him. He doesn't spank him. He doesn't send him to his room. He doesn't take away his iPhone and say, you are grounded. He hugs him and he kisses him. And he gives him a robe and a ring and shoes. All these signs that point to, you are restored. You are my son. You are always my son. That's the same way that Jesus runs after us. He runs us down, and He runs us down with love. Unyielding, unflinching, selfless love. Love that that doesn't quit. Love that just gives. (laughs) Love that doesn't wait for reciprocity. So often, this is is going back to the wrong definition of love. Sometimes, I, I have to confess, my love is dependent upon what I'm given first. And I'm only going to give that love if I know for sure that, okay, I'm going to get something back in return, right? (laughs) I hope that I'm not the only one that is struggling with this. (laughs) God doesn't love us like that. God doesn't love us and say, okay, make it up to me. Come on. He just loves for free, forever. He says here, come and eat. Come all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is the way that God loves us. Love that just gives regardless of words said, wrongs felt, or circumstances endured. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 very quickly. I'm going to read that verse that I mentioned earlier. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Paul writing... Same guy writing, he says, Charity, that is love, never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. And whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but that which is perfect is come. (laughs) He's talking about love. Then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I am also known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, that is love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the way that God loves us. A love that never fails, never quits, that just gives this is a love that we have been shown in Jesus. It's a love that we are being uh, formed and molded by, by the Spirit of God. It's a love we are called to show to others. 
selfless love. Love that is not concerned about what it can get in return. Love that is not concerned about uh, uh, its feelings or desires or attractions or affections. It's love. Period. Actually, one writer says it this way. This is William Romain. He was a 18th century writer and he says it like this what the sun would be without its light such is a Christian without love that should be sort of our calling card our motto our, our, our thing that we should be no, most known for is our love even when we are shunned even when we are, are, are made fun of we, even when we are persecuted yes even when we are cut off in 595 traffic and I mention traffic a lot whenever I preach because uh, I know I struggle with that. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. Yeah, I'm not a very good driver in the sense that I'm not always a loving driver. <laughs> and I'm the one with a gray sticker on my car. <laughs> That's irony. We can love this way only because we have been loved this way by God. And I know for sure I know for sure, I'm not going to speak for you, but I know for sure that I'm not doing this perfectly. And I would say that that's not the point. The point is that God frees us to love this way because He loves us this way. Selflessly, perfectly, sacrificially. And while you spend your time here on earth, you can pursue this type of love knowing that Jesus has done this for you perfectly, 100% all the way. And that type of love never fails. And I would even say that like the Beatles, that's all the love you need. That's all the love that you need. Let's pray.